Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, last week we kicked off our uh, new worship series from the book of Colossians called Jesus is Everything. And we started off by looking at the gospel, the power of the gospel. And if you were here, or maybe if you listened to the, the podcast or the message online, um, you heard us define and explain the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus has done everything to save me. That is truly good news. It's literally the best news. And we heard that it's the power of God to save us, to, to rescue us from sin, to give us forgiveness and eternal life. The very next words then are what we're going to take a look at today, and they're actually a part of a prayer that God used the man who originally wrote these words, a man named Paul, uh, to pray for the Christians in Colossae. But they're still fitting. They're a prayer that still works for us today. They're fitting and useful because they also remind us of of God's impact, of the, the message of the gospel, the good news, what that does, what that means for you and for me in our lives every single day. Because I want you to stop and think for just a second, what are the moments that have had the biggest impact in your life? I'm guessing at least seven out of ten you had no control over. I mean, if you, right, if you look at engagement or marriage, right, the fact that you asked her to marry you, or you said yes, or you said I do, those kinds of things, yes, you absolutely had a choice in the matter. But let's go back to the beginning, your conception. You had no part in that one. Your birth, the day your mom went into labor and gave birth to you, again, no, no choice in that matter. The family that you were born into and raised in had a huge impact on your life, on the way that you view life, on the way that you view the world. But you didn't get to pick your family. Maybe you've been in an accident or suffered an injury or an illness that today still has lasting effects. Likely was not something you chose. Maybe you joined up to serve in the military. That was a choice, but, but from then on, the, the military doesn't give you too many choices, does it? They move you around and they tell you to go when, when and where they want. And, and if you served in the last 20 years, you probably served in a combat zone. And my guess is there's probably still an impact from that time on your life. Maybe you had a job that point downsized or eliminated your position. And and it wasn't necessarily you weren't doing your job or you weren't performing. It wasn't up to you. But maybe it left you out of work for weeks or even months, and that certainly has an impact, right? And the thing is, all of those events, right, some of them are just, just moments in your life that have an impact, sometimes your entire life long. The event is extremely short, but the result, the impact, is huge. 
And it impacts the way that you treat other people, right? The way that you are raised in a family impacts the way that you view and, and treat your husband or your wife, your kids. Maybe you struggle to trust because of an event in your life. Maybe you view food a certain way because of an event in your life. Maybe you view work, a job, because of an event in your life. All of these things shape the way that we see the world around us. They have a a tremendous impact on our life. But there's no single event that has a greater impact on your life than when God rescued you. Then the day that God called you his own, the day that he brought faith into your heart and made you his child, because that changed everything. It changed your motivation. It changed your priorities. It changed your outlook. It even changed your eternity. And because of that change, and it, the beauty is it wasn't something you or I really did, is it? It's, it's all God's doing God's saving us, God rescuing us, God making his, us his own. And it's all because Jesus is everything. That's the setting. That's the, the, what we're really talking about today as we walk through. We're going to walk through a little bit at a time through our text from Colossians 1, beginning at verse 9 this morning, to see the impact God and his good news that Jesus has done everything for us has in our hearts, in our lives, every single day. So the first verse, or the first words of verse 9 start out with saying, by saying, for this reason. Now those are clearly words that are describing an effect, a result, right? An impact. And it's helpful for us to know what's the cause, The cause comes from words we read last week that we looked at last week, just verses before this, where he says, the gospel, that good news of Jesus that has saved you, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. He's saying that you know and you understand and you trust this amazing thing called the gospel that's given to you by this amazing gift called grace, undeserved love. You've heard and you know that God loves you, that Jesus has saved you. And that's growing and increasing in you every single day, just as it's doing everywhere around the world. And so Paul says then, The result of this is his prayer in verse 9. For this reason, because you know what God has done for you, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. See, this prayer starts out by saying, I I want you, God wants you to know his will to know how he wants you to live, to know his design and his desire for your life. And it comes from God the Holy Spirit through the wisdom and understanding that God the Holy Spirit gives. 
Now understand, God the Holy Spirit works pretty much like learning physics in high school. You may have tried the osmosis routine, like you put your physics book under the pillow and just lay your head down, but that didn't work, did it? And God doesn't work in a vacuum either. He works through his word. See, every time you hear or read God's word, the Holy Spirit is strengthening your faith. He's, he's helping you understand, peel the onion a little bit more on who God is and what he's done and his, his desire and his design for you. And you know what's really cool? That doesn't just happen like some of the time you read it or hear it. It happens every time because God is the one who works through that gospel message. The word spiritual, though, is significant. To give you spiritual wisdom and understanding through the Spirit because we all have an innate knowledge of God's design and desire for our lives. We all have an innate an inborn knowledge of God's do's and don'ts. That's why people around the world, whether they know about God or not, whether they've read the Bible or not, know that it's wrong to rape and steal and murder. And even people who try to, try to convince you that it's not, even people who do those things, they know it's wrong, and they show that they know it's wrong because they try to hide it. Even more than just those gross examples, though, those big examples, we know even more than that, don't we? We have this knowledge within us that it's not right to gossip. It, it's not right to borrow with no intention to return. It's not right to abuse mentally, physically, we know that those things aren't right, and that's why when we do them, what do we do? We try to hide them. The problem is that God's will is more than just a bunch of do's and don'ts. We want to make it that simple, even though we fail, but God says, no, it's, more, it's much more than that, because God is much more than a rule giver. God is gracious, literally grace-filled, undeserved love. For you and me, he's merciful, he's compassionate, he's generous. He loves and he gives and he forgives without condition, without demanding that you perform X, Y, and Z, and then I'll love you, and then I'll forgive you. No, God just does. And that's an amazing thing, and God wants us to know that about him. And not just to know that about him, but then to imitate him, to live that way like him. That brings us to our first takeaway this morning of what God's will really is. See, God's will is not only to do what he says, it's to love like he does. That's a big part of why Jesus told that parable of the Good Samaritan that we heard earlier. Right? That, that man thought that he had, he had checked all of the boxes on God's rules. He hadn't, but he thought he had. And Jesus said, yeah, but it's, it's much more than that. It's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about compassion and mercy and love, generosity, because that's how God treats us every single day. And living for God 
means living like God. Which is exactly what we find in our next verse. How God wants us to do that, spelling it out. He says in verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. What does that look like? Well, he continues, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. That's a really cool list, isn't it? How well do you think you would do if the burden was on you? Especially that great patience and endurance thing. Oof. What's really cool about that list is God does all of the heavy lifting. He's the one who picks up the giant sandbags of do's and don'ts, and he carries them for us. Take a look, right? He says, here's, here's what this life looks like. Bearing fruit in every good work. Well, how does that happen? The Bible tells us clearly, Jesus said explicitly clearly that you can't do anything God considers good unless you are connected to the vine. And Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You bear good fruit, you bear fruit and good works and good deeds, doing things that God says are pleasing when you are connected to him. Growing in the knowledge of God, we kind of already touched on that, right? That the Holy Spirit works through the word of God. Every time we hear it, every time we read it, we get to know God just a little bit more, a little bit better, a little more clearly. We understand his love for us a little more deeply. We know his beauty and his power and his majesty. We see all that he's done. We appreciate him a little bit more. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Well, when you are being strengthened, someone else is doing the work, right? Someone else is strengthening you, and that someone is God, according to his glorious might, and for a purpose, so that you might have great endurance and patience. Yeah, that's right. God is strengthening you to have patience. That thing that it seems like nobody in the world has anymore, right? We can't wait two seconds, much less two minutes. We got other things to do. I'm in a hurry all the time. But what happens when you say, Lord, I need help with this. Lord, deliver me. And he answers your prayer, but not on your time frame. What happens when he does deliver you, but it's in a different way than you want or even expect? In the intervening seconds or minutes or days or weeks, do you say, God must not care? Maybe God doesn't even love me. Maybe I haven't lived well enough for him. Maybe, maybe Jesus doesn't care about me at all. Nope. Because God strengthens you so that when you face the difficulties and the hardships of life, like, like we sang about at the beginning, right? That we would see God weaving this through his 
tapestry of grace, right? That, that this too is a part of his plan and that this too is his undeserved love for you. And he strengthens you to endure it, to be patient, to see his plan, not yours. And then finally, giving joyful thanks to the Father. See, God wants us to have lives. Living a life for God really means having joy. That's not a Pollyanna, happy, joy, joy, all all the time kind of a thing. But it does mean that no matter how bad the day has been, I know there's hope. No matter how rough the season is right now, I still have peace. And I can still, like, get out of bed and look up because I know God loves me. And it means that I I don't just know it, but that I give thanks to God for it. Because I recognize that, that everything in my life, every breath that I take, Every day that I wake up, every everything is a gift from God. And so I thank him for it. See, what God wants us to understand is that every part of our lives have been impacted by him for our good. That brings us to our second takeaway this morning, that God positively impacts every part of my life for him. So that makes it beautifully clear that God does the heavy lifting and and how he wants us to live. But really, it's important to understand why, right? What's our motivation in how we live every day? Well, the next couple of verses, the last verses of our text this morning, God paints a, a couple of pictures. He uses some really descriptive phrases to help us see why. Let's take a look. First of all, we'll go back to the end of that phrase that we looked at before, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his, eternal, of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That's a pretty important statement right there. God has qualified you. And that's really, 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 really important because we've disqualified ourselves. Remember that list of, of the do's and the don'ts that, that we talked about before, that we all have this innate knowledge of? I mean, we know God's, what God says are right and wrong. We try to hide it. We try to excuse it. We try to push it off on somebody else. That's why we do those things, because we know that they're wrong. It's actually really simple. It's kind of like in a track meet. A runner in a track meet really has one job, don't they? There's one rule. If you want to have a chance at the prize at the end, you have to stay in your lane. And God's marked out this path for us, and he says, I want you to do this. I want you to to love and to care and to be gracious and to be generous and to not be greedy and to not gossip and to not be judgy and not think that you're better than everybody else and not just live for yourself. I want you to do all these things and stay in this lane and there's a prize at the end. And the problem is, like like the runner who gets sometimes just a toe over the edge, 
sometimes veers wildly into the other lane, and sometimes just runs right off the track. That's kind of how we act. God says, stay here, and sometimes we step just a little bit over the edge, and sometimes we're, we've left the building. And whether we step over the line, whether it's an infraction that's really small or really huge, like the runner, it disqualifies us. We have no, no shot at the prize. We've disqualified ourselves over and over and over again. And that's why it's so amazing that God says, I have qualified you. So how does he do that? Well, that comes in the next verses. So that we might have an inheritance, the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. Look at how he says he did that. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Have you heard of Bat 21? You might have, but it might not be in the the front edges of your brain. Bat 21 was an American warplane that was shot down on Easter Sunday in 1972 behind enemy lines in the Vietnam War. Everybody on the crew, everybody, every crew member was killed except for one, Lieutenant Colonel Hamilton. He survived. He was Bat 21. And his radio beacon went off and the helicopters and planes of the U.S. military said, we're coming. And they tried to get in and rescue him, but the enemy had amassed an incredible amount of of firepower. And everything that moved was shot at or shot down. And for days, the rescue effort went on and was fruitless and almost to the point of being hopeless. Over the next 12 days, Lieutenant Colonel Hamilton ate almost no food. He lost 45 pounds. Some days he didn't move because he was in the middle of the enemy and they were walking within 20 yards of him. He was hiding for his life and it seemed like there was no hope. Except one of three Navy SEALs left in the country said, I'll take that mission. His name was Thomas Norris. And he, along with one South Vietnamese soldier, dressed up like fishermen, they took a sampan, a little fishing boat, and paddled four kilometers upstream. They found Lieutenant Colonel Hamilton in the middle of the enemy, delirious, almost unable to walk. And they knew that he wasn't probably going to make it through the next day because the plan was, we're going to hunker down and we're going to sneak out in the cover of darkness the next night. But that wasn't an option, even at the cost of their own life. Lieutenant Norris guided, they, they snuck out, they made, managed to make it back to the river and there they came under heavy enemy fire. And they dodged and they managed to get away. They rescued Bat 21. And for his heroism, Lieutenant Norris was awarded the highest honor our nation gives, the Medal of Honor. 
It's an amazing, amazing rescue story. But it's not the greatest rescue story. That's the rescue of you by God. See, God didn't send like an army of angels. He sent his own son far, far into enemy territory. And the really crazy thing is it wasn't for like a, a valuable member of his team. It's for a bunch of rebellious people who've disqualified themselves from anything that God should say is good or should do for them. But God had promised a rescue and so the mission began in the womb of the virgin. And then he came into the world in that stable in Bethlehem. And he grew up in, in obscurity in Nazareth. And yet even then, Jesus was accomplishing his mission because he never lived in a way that disqualified himself from living for you and rescuing, saving you. For three years, Jesus went around teaching and preaching so that people would know God saves sinners. God saves people who have disqualified themselves. God loves you. And he chose a friend, a friend that he knew was going to be his enemy, who was going to betray him, and he chose him anyway. And that friend did that, betrayed him, handed him over and Jesus was tortured and beaten and mocked and humiliated. And it seemed like the mission was a failure as he was nailed to the cross. But there on the cross, the mission was actually accomplished. Because Jesus suffered the punishment for the sins of a bunch of people who have disqualified themselves. For all of our failures all of our sins, all of our, our steps, just a toe's width over the line or leaving the building completely. Jesus took the wrath of God for them all. And then he declared, it is finished. Mission accomplished. Because he gave not just his life, but his perfect life, the most precious thing there is, the, most per the perfect life of God himself to rescue and save you. To qualify you. See, that's why in Jesus, Jesus is everything. Because in him, we have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have an eternity free from the darkness of sin and in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. And that's why our third takeaway is that reminder that Jesus rescued me from sin and he impacts my life for eternity. You didn't choose to be born into this world, but I'm guessing you're glad that happened. This event was even more impactful when God chose you, when God rescued you. He saved you. And now he strengthens you and equips you and enables you to live a life that, 
that shows the impact of God every single day so that other people might know him. Other people might know that he has rescued them too. Because that's the beauty of this message. It's the beauty of the Bible. It's the beauty of what God has done. Jesus is everything. Amen.